Hello and welcome to episode number 133 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. We're back for our second of eight divisional recap podcasts on this year's NFL Draft. The NFC East is up next, Tony. Anything stand out to you as a whole in this division? I thought a lot of the teams really had solid drafts uh, as we go through them. I, you know, there was room for, for improvement in some of them, but I thought overall, uh, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of uh, reaches as we did in other divisions from top to bottom. Yeah, I'd agree. And, and I think all the teams found a way in some area to add to their skill positions core, whether it was a big time wide receiver whether it was kind of a jack-of-all-trades type of player, except the Giants, who had just a really blue-collar type of draft. Obviously, we'll get into all the details shortly. And first, we're going to start here with the Washington Redskins. Since they picked the highest out of all of these teams, they drafted second overall, and they went with the best player in this draft, Chase Young, defensive end out of Ohio State. Now, obviously, there was some talk of Washington possibly looking into two Tagovailoa or other quarterbacks at number two. Maybe they were trying to drum up trade interest in the pick to see if anybody would give them an offer that they couldn't refuse. But in the end, I think they were just set on Chase Young the whole time. And there's good reason for them to be. They had a need at the position. They needed a playmaker, a guy who's going to get after the quarterback. And Chase Young, you know, for all the times that we've discussed, maybe he didn't show up in a couple games or he might struggle against the run. He has that game-changing type of impact as a pass rusher and was really just too good for Washington to pass up at number two. Yeah, I, I mean, none of that talk about them uh, taking Tua was, was, had any credibility to it. I mean, I first reported that the Redskins were going to have an official interview with Tua at the uh, Combine, and then that story started to take off. And as I said in the weeks leading to the draft, it was people just trying to put pu- uh, pieces of a puzzle together that didn't exist. I, I mean, obviously, they were listening to trade offers. You got to listen to trade offers in case somebody knocks, the so- uh, you know, knocks your, your socks off. But literally, as I said, from the day after Ron Rivera was uh, hired as the coach for the Washington Redskins, Chase Young was their guy. I, I mean, Ron Rivera is a defensive coordinator. Chase Young is an impact defensive player or as close as we were going to get to an impact defensive player in this year's draft. And in the past, you know, before the, the league went quarterback crazy, everybody at the top of the draft, the coveted position was that impact defensive player, which is what Chase Young was. So uh, it was never in doubt. Uh, I, I, I thought the, the Tua stuff was, uh, I just kind of had no credibility to it. And they made the smart pick. I mean, they got the best player in the draft with the second selection overall. So, you know, (laughs) they did the right thing. Absolutely. And, you know, there was talk, obviously, Dwayne Haskins didn't show out very much in his rookie season, but he didn't really have much around him. So to just give up so quickly, I mean, obviously, Arizona did it the year before when they gave up on Josh Rosen and and selected Kyler Murray number one overall, but you're not going to see that every single season. That's not going to be something that kind of becomes the norm. So Washington did go with a smart pick. Now they didn't have a pick in the second round. They drafted early on the second pick in the third round and they drafted Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. They listed him as a running back. He has played some receiver at Memphis. He was a running back at the Senior Bowl. He went to the Combine, and he was a receiver there. In the end, he's not a guy that's going to fill either one of those positions exactly. He's a guy you're going to get him the ball in the short field. You're going to get him the ball on reverses. You're just going to put the ball in his hands, and he is a playmaker. I mean, he's sturdy. He's over 220 pounds. He ran a great 40-time 
at the combine, just overall a playmaker who's going to impact that offense. They already have a guy kind of like, like Gibson and Steven Sims, who was an undrafted find for them last year. And while they may not have that true alpha number one game-changing receiver, I mean, I love Terry McLaurin. I think he's an excellent player. But you just add gadgety types of players that you just put the ball in their hands and they're going to make plays. It does make your offense a bit harder to stop as a whole. Well, I mean, he was primarily a receiver. Uh, the only time he played running back uh, or started at running back for Memphis, I believe, was the AAC championship game. And then he lined up at running back uh, the senior bowl. Basically, he's a, he's a receiver in a running back's body, so they got to figure out what they're going to do with him. He's a terrific athlete. He's got a great amount of upside. He is the type of guy that you can line up all over the place. You can probably line him up in the backfield on occasion, line him up in the slot, line him up in the boundary, uh, and ask him to do a multitude of things. Now, that said – I mean, Antonio Gibson was a guy who came into the season, was not even mentioned by scouts, and then just took off. Uh, terrific senior campaign, senior bowl uh, invitation, combine invitation, ends up as a third-round pick. So there is a, there's a lot of upside. There's a lot of untapped potential. But you've got to figure out what you're going to do with Antonio Gibson. And round four, the, uh, the Redskins had two selections, starting off with Shadik Charles, the offensive lineman from Louisiana State and Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty. These two are have contrasting styles. I mean, Charles is a guy a lot of people liked. I was not as high on him. A little bit short for a tackle, but someone who really should have stayed in school one more year. If Charles stays at LSU and improves upon his 2019 campaign, he's potentially a top 45 choice in the 2021 draft. The way it is now, he's very undeveloped. He's sort of like Antonio Gibson in the sense that you really have to develop and polish his game and figure out where you're going to play him. Are you going to play him at tackle? Are you going to play him at guard? But there's no short things with uh, Charles. Unlike Antonio Gandy-Golden, who is a polished receiver, who is a terrific football player, who is a plug-and-play type of uh, receiver for the next level, but Golden doesn't have the great athleticism. He doesn't have the athleticism of Charles. He doesn't have the speed of Antonio Gibson. And it'll be interesting to see how Gandy-Golden, who was everyone's you know, favorite player last year. He, he was the toast of the town and understandably so how he does at the next level. And is he able to separate and still continue to produce? Yeah. And the Redskins, I mean, they drafted Kelvin Harmon in the sixth round last year, who has some similarities to Gandy Golden. Harmon's probably going to play a big role for them this year. So, you know, they're just looking to add another big bodied wide out and he's good value in the fourth round. Really no issue with that pick. Washington did have a pair of fifth rounders as well, and they addressed the front seven on defense and the offensive line again. They went with Keith Ishmael out of San Diego State, a guy, Tony, I know you think is a very good value at this pick here. Not, you know, the most powerful blocker. He's, he's a good, solid player, um, you know, needs a little bit of development. But again, when you're drafting in the fifth round, you don't need these guys to play right away. So Ishmael was solid value, as was Kaliki Hudson out of Michigan. Uh, he's listed as a linebacker right now. He's kind of in between linebacker safety type of size, but very athletic, played that Viper role for the Wolverines. So that's just another piece that at the very least is a solid special teamer, but he does have some upside for Washington. Then they picked twice in the seventh round and they got safety Cameron Curl out of Arkansas and defensive end James Smith Williams out of North Carolina State. Now Smith Williams is a guy who drew a lot of attention at the combine after he ran an excellent 40 time. He's a guy with good speed off the edge. And the fact that he didn't go in the top 225 picks was a little bit surprising. So Washington did make a couple value plays late in this draft, in addition to getting a guy like Chase Young at the top. Overall, a solid job considering the capital that they had. I like the pick of Keith Ishmael a lot. I think it's a bargain. 
What are the Redskins going to do with them, though? I mean, they really don't need a center. So I, I was that surprised me. Although, you know, maybe it's a, a situation where they trade off one of the guys on their depth chart. I'm just throwing that out there. Kalike Hudson's got to improve his playing coverage. He's an explosive athlete. He's one of those guys, really his sophomore season was probably his best football at Michigan. He's kind of leveled off since then. You know, do you play him at strong safety? Do you play him at, uh, at linebacker? He, he's very explosive sideline to sideline and making plays up the field. He's got to learn to make plays moving in reverse. Cameron Curl is more of a, a straight line safety. James Smith Williams. I'm not surprised he went that this late. I mean, there were some teams that have him in the fourth, fifth round, but Smith Williams didn't play too much last year because of injury. And really to date, he has shown himself to be a better athlete than a pure football player. Now he's got some pass rush ability, whether it be at defensive end, whether it be at, uh, at standing up over tackle. But again, like Keith Ishmael, you know, I can understand this pick, but you look at the, uh, you, you know, you, you look at the Redskins, Montez sweat a year ago, Chase Young this year, and then James Smith Williams. Can't complain that they're taking uh, these sorts of players uh, in the draft. But again, you know, they're loading up. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Smith Williams. I think at the very least, uh, he ends up on the practice squad. Now, the Redskins did sign a couple undrafted free agents of note. The guys that I wanted to take a focus on were quarterback Steven Montez out of Colorado and tight end Thaddeus Moss out of LSU. Now, Montez is a guy, if you've listened to our podcast, which if you're listening now, you probably have. I'm sure you've heard the name Steven Montez. We have talked about him a lot, especially for a guy who ended up being a UDFA. But he has a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent in his arm. There's some ability in his legs as well. Consistency was always the thing that escapes Steven Montez, but Again, as we said on our last episode, when you take guys and you sign them after the draft, you're really mitigating the risk and you're just looking for tools. You're just looking for upside. So when you're talking about James Smith-Williams being a better athlete than football player, Steven Montez, I don't know if I'd say the same exact thing of him. He's just an inconsistent quarterback, which that out of all the positions in the league is the one where consistency is the most important. But I think that's certainly a worthwhile flyer after the draft, as was Thaddeus Moss. I mean, Washington at the tight end position really doesn't have a lot. I mean, Jeremy Sprinkle, a guy who was at the Senior Bowl several years ago and was a fifth rounder back in 2017, is at the top of the depth chart there. Not saying Thaddeus Moss makes that kind of impact, but he has the bloodlines. He has some athletic ability. He just doesn't have the production. He didn't really do too much before this season. So it'll be interesting to see if Washington can develop him because if they can, there's something there for him to be at least a number two tight end. Well, Moss dropped because of an injury. He had a significant injury, which I alluded to days before the draft. I had him as a fifth rounder. I was hearing he could uh, drop out of the uh, entire process, which he did. It's a matter of him getting healthy and then developing him, and Washington does need tight end, so it's worth the roll of dice. I, I mean, I don't know what I can add uh, as far as what you said on Steven Montez. Two years ago, Steven Montez was one of my highest-rated quarterbacks, and literally since the middle of his sophomore season, it's been a straight downhill trek for his, uh, not only his game, but his draft grade. He's never really recaptured what he, what he showed uh, the first half of the 2017 season. Really, same thing with LaVisca Chenault. Their uh, careers kind of parallel each other, although Montez went down at a faster clip because Chenault spent so much time on the sidelines. They got Isaiah Wright, who's a bigger receiver, big body possession guy. And then they got Jonathan Johnson, an interesting uh, selection, uh, a smaller guy, explosive slot receiver who can also line up as a return specialist. Lots of new weapons for the Redskins heading into the season. Hopefully Dwayne Haskins can do a little more with them this year than he was able to do last season. And we'll be back in just a moment here to look at the rest of the draft picks throughout the NFC East after this word from our sponsor. 
Well, the NFL draft is over and live sports are still on hiatus. There does appear to be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And of course, there are still betting opportunities across the landscape. While you're waiting this out at home with us, hopefully not much longer at home, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. Even with the NBA, NHL, and MLB, BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. And sports aren't totally done if you consider certain things as sports because there are still eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the spelling bee, and BetOnline's new $750,000 poker series. Yes, Chris, they're still fun to be had and hopefully even more fun once this lockdown ends. So go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And we're back now to take a look at the next team on our list. And that is the New York Giants who drafted fourth overall and surprised many people actually with the selection of Andrew Thomas, the left tackle out of Georgia. Obviously they're probably going to be moving Nate Solder to the right side if they drafted Thomas here, because he is more of a pure left tackle type. He's one of the few in this draft that is truly a left tackle only excellent in pass protection, good feet, excellent off the edge protecting and he can block for the run as well. He's solid in the running game. He's just a good overall player. Maybe doesn't have the raw upside of some of the other tackles in this draft, but that doesn't mean we should be sleeping on Andrew Thomas, who tested out well at the combine, just like all the other top tackles. So to say he you know, is a low upside player is really not giving him enough credit. I think this was a rock-solid pick. He was the number one tackle on my board and really a guy that's going to help fortify the Giants' offensive line for years to come. Really wasn't a surprise to me. It, this is one of those uh, at times or one of those issues where rather than go with my instinct, I go with what I'm hearing on the outside, was, which was a mistake. Back in December, I did a show on FAN, a, a Sunday football show on FAN, or I was a guest with Mark Malusius and former Giant center uh, Sean O'Hara. And I mentioned right then and there, I thought that Andrew Thomas would be, be the pick for the Giants, and he was. They need to fortify their offensive line. They need help at left tackle. They need an upgrade at left tackle. They want to protect Daniel Jones. Uh, Andrew Thomas is that guy. Now, what I'm hearing is Andrew Thomas's development will dictate when Nate Solder moves to the right side. And there's no guarantee Andrew Thomas, especially with no rookie minicamp, with a potential abbreviated summer camp, no uh, guarantees that Andrew Thomas is going to be ready to line up at left tackle for the Giants the first game of the season. But don't start screaming and yelling that he's a bust if he's not a day one starter. He's got tremendous upside. He's an outstanding pass blocker, incredibly mobile, very good on the second level, even the third level, locking emotion. He just has got to be a, more, a little bit more consistent. He seems, lack, he seems to lack confidence uh, in his base at times. He, uh, occasionally, he'll drive opponents off the line as a run blocker, then he gets pushed back in the pocket uh, in pass protection. Regardless, I thought this was a smart pick. I thought this was the best pick. And as I said during that interview, I mean, Andrew Thomas has some Jonathan Ogden in his game in a sense that he's a little bit shorter, but he's mobile. He's agile. I'm not saying he's Jonathan Ogden, but he's got some traits of Jonathan Ogden in his game. I absolutely love this pick. Absolutely. And the Giants continued the trend of making solid picks with their next three selections that they had in the top 125. They selected Xavier McKinney out of Alabama early in round two as uh, the top safety off the board, one pick before Kyle Duger. And he's a guy that his long speed is a bit of a question. He ran 4.64 four 
at the combine, but a very solid player lines up all over the field. He would line up in the slot. Occasionally he'd line up deep. He'd line up at linebacker. Obviously Nick Saban really trusted him with a lot of responsibilities. And he's just a solid football player. Even if he's not the greatest athlete, Matt Pert out of UConn went pick 99 in the third round to the giants. Now, if we're talking about Andrew Thomas, possibly not starting off his career at left tackle, Matt Pert is more of a developmental guy on the right side, but there is massive upside in Matt Pert. He showed it at the senior bowl. Tony's been all over him since before the season. We actually tried to get him on the show over the summer. So Matt Pert is a guy that really, you know, giant fans are, are looking at this draft and they might have their future two tackles once Nate Solder eventually moves on. And then Darnay Holmes early in the fourth round at pick 110, another senior bowl player, guy who really showed out well at the senior bowl, was one of the better corners in attendance and really just going to add to the secondary. They took Julian Love last year and the Giants are really just trying to kind of fortify the back end there and they, they need some help. You know, they signed James Bradbury in free agency. They also had DeAndre Baker uh, last season. They had Sam Beal the year before. So they've added a lot of pieces, but Darnay Holmes is a guy who definitely can get into that cornerback rotation early in his career. I was a little bit surprised at the Xavier McKinney uh, selection. I, I know the Giants needed help at safety. They wanted a safety, but I, I thought they were looking for more of a pure cover safety. And while McKinney's good, I thought Grant Delpit is better as a cover safety. Uh, who knows? Maybe Z uh, Xavier McKinney may make Giant fans forget about Landon Collins because he was such a good player. And he's a similar type of player, but he's not a real good, uh, a real pure cover safety. Matt Pert, I mean, I, I, I've had him graded since his redshirt sophomore season. Uh, he's a guy that just needs a little bit of development. He's someone who's well-versed at both the left and right tackle spot. He's athletic. He's agile. Really dis, uh, showed a, a nasty attitude or, or really stepped the, up the intensity as a senior. Needs some technical work. But uh, if he's not starting by the end of his rookie year, I think Matt Pert will be the Giants' starting tackle come 2021. Darnay Holmes, I think, is a natural nickelback. He's explosive. He's fast. He's got terrific ball skills. Don't know that he's going to be a starter, but he has all the makings to play in nickel and dime packages and be used on special teams. Round five, they came away with another offensive lineman, a real good offensive lineman, and Shane Lemieux, a, a tremendous small area blocker who tested much better and ran much better uh, at the combine than people uh, expected. You watch Shane Lemieux on, on film. He's just a dominant in confined quarters. He, he opens up the, the holes for the running game. He stays square and controls opponents to pass protection. What he does, didn't really do in college all that well was show the ability to block in motion. But then he went to the combine and he looked like a, a really good athlete for a man that, or for a, guy, a blocker that's uh, his size. So maybe it's just a matter of coaching him to play to those athletic numbers. Absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned before that it was kind of a blue collar draft for the Giants and your description of Shane Lemieux pretty much fits that to a T. I mean, three offensive linemen and a safety in your first five picks is really going to kind of hammer that point home. The Giants did have five other picks in this draft. They spent them all on defense and four of them came at the linebacker position. Cam Brown out of Penn State, who's kind of like a speedy type of a linebacker. He was also at the Senior Bowl. Carter Coughlin out of Minnesota, a pass rushing type of guy, probably going to max out in sub packages, another Senior Bowl player. And, and the third linebacker I'm going to talk about here also is at the Senior Bowl. TJ Brunson played really well, showed some ability in coverage, and he's an excellent tackler as well. They took Tay Crowder as Mr. Irrelevant as their fourth linebacker of the final 80 or so picks in the draft. And they also added Chris Williamson out of Minnesota, another corner, really just continuing to add to that secondary. Tony, I know Williamson is a guy that you've had on your radar for the while. 
What do you think of him and also the rest of the uh, linebacker selections here on day three? You know, well, first thing is you're funny. It's funny you mentioned all the senior bowl guys because we know how much Dave Gettleman loves those senior bowl players, especially the senior bowl MVP. And I'm sure when Justin Herbert uh, won the senior bowl MVP this year, uh, Giant fans were shaking their heads saying, oh, no. And then all of a sudden, the news right before the draft <laughs> that uh, Gettleman was doing all kinds of work on Justin Herbert. So uh, Giant fans were probably a little bit concerned at that, at that point in time. Chris Williamson off the 2018 film, I'm glad he got drafted. But off the 2018 film, he looks like a mid or early day three selection. He was terrific. He's got excellent size. He's very explosive. Problem is they moved him into nickel last year, and his game kind of fell off a bit. I was so happy to see T.J. Brunson get uh, drafted in the seventh round. I thought he was one of the most underrated last-day uh, linebackers. Uh, he was ter- he had a terrific, uh, terrific career at South Carolina. I thought it was a travesty he didn't get an invite to the co- uh, to the combine. But not the biggest guy in the world, but intelligent, instinctive, and very aggressive. He's also got some good athleticism. Carter Coughlin, I think, is a good fit for the Giants system, as is Cameron Brown. They both guys got to get a little bit bigger, especially Brown. I think Cameron Brown played, played better in 2018 than he did in 2019. Carter Coughlin, I just got to find himself. I mean, at Minnesota, he's primarily used up at the line of scrimmage as a three-four outside guy. He's got to get more adept at making plays moving in reverse. Now, looking at some of the undrafted free agents that the Giants brought in, and a friend of our show, Kyle Murphy, who we had on right after the uh, the Shrine game and the Senior Bowl ended in kind of like our all-star postscript. You know, he's a guy who's versatile. He's played several different positions along the offensive line, which definitely gives him the opportunity to stick on a roster as a backup. Javon Leak out of Maryland, an explosive back. Didn't test out all that well at the Combine. When you watch him play on the field, it doesn't really match those testing numbers. Not the most adept pass catcher in the world, but the guy who could potentially, you know, round out the bottom of a running back depth chart in the NFL. And then New York added a pair of Ohio State receivers in Benjamin Victor and Austin Mack. Obviously, Ohio State has receivers drafted and signed after the draft every year, and these guys couldn't be any more different. Victor is a tall, lean receiver, pretty good athlete, but didn't fully translate that to football production in his time with the Buckeyes. And Austin Mack, more of a possession receiver, a little bit smaller, not the fastest guy in the world, had some issues with consistency as well. But both of these guys will kind of fight it out at the bottom of the roster to see if they can make the team. Tony, did any other UDFAs that the Giants signed really pique your interest or you know, any of the guys that I mentioned as well? Nah, Kyle Murphy's definitely a practice squad type of guy. He's got a good, a good amount of upside. I like Dominique Ross, Dom Ross, the uh, linebacker from North Carolina that uh, they selected. You can get uh, scouting reports on just about every one of the uh, players the Giants drafted at, at Pro Football Network. I'm looking at it now. We have just about everybody. Uh, Case Cookus of Northern Arizona is a guy that created a buzz for himself. Uh, literally through his senior year and even during his pro day, he's got a good amount of upside. He's a uh, nice-sized quarterback with a live arm. Again, I could see him ending up on the practice squad. And and I got to say, you know, I thought the Giants had the best draft of anybody in the NFC East. Uh, I thought it was one of the top five drafts overall in the league. You know, you talk about – you said they selected blue-collar guys. I think they selected a lot of plug-and-play guys. And and the guy at the top, Andrew Thomas, has got a tremendous amount of upside. So good job by the Giants. Yeah, definitely a nice draft for the Giants. Also have a couple – Uh, Nice drafts coming up, especially one. We are going to break down the Cowboys and the Eagles right after this quick break. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. It's different for you. It's different for me. One thing is certain. Every day there's an opportunity to win. 
Just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. The new lucky number scratcher from the Virginia Lottery. 32 chances to win $500,000 plus four bonus games. Stop by your closest retailer and check it out. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com. And we're back here. We're going to take a look at the final two teams in the NFC East. And we'll start with the Dallas Cowboys, who drafted 17th overall. And they got C.D. Lamb, wide receiver out of Oklahoma. Now, a lot of people expected them to draft Caleb on Chason, the edge rusher out of LSU. C.D. Lamb, though, I mean, look at the receivers in Dallas now that Dak Prescott has to throw the football to. C.D. Lamb, obviously Amari Cooper, who just signed an extension, and Michael Gallup, who has a couple more years left on his rookie contract. I mean, this is really arguably the best receiver core in the NFL. Lamb is a guy, he was my top receiver in this draft, went third in terms of the receivers here. So in, in and itself, that's a steal. I mean, he's a guy, you get him the ball in the short field, he can take it to the house. He wins in contested situations. Obviously awesome after the catch. Just a really good overall player. Not the greatest athlete in the world, but he's more than athletic enough to hold his own at the NFL level. Really a future number one receiver, but he's not going to need to do that in Dallas, which is really going to help kind of take coverage away from him and and make him more effective immediately upon entering the league. Best player available, a guy who doesn't have to uh, step in and be the number one receiver, uh, uh, someone who I think is a terrific complement to Amari Cooper, as well as Michael Gallup, someone who may uh, be asked to do some punt returning. Uh, Listen, like you said, everyone expected them to select Chazon. They selected the best player available, and the best player available is someone that's going to hopefully make Dak Prescott a better and more consistent quarterback. So I think they killed a number of birds with one stone there. Round two, they took one of my favorite cornerbacks, Trayvon Diggs, a guy who I was very high on Uh, for the longest time. I had him as a first round pick. I think he's first round talent or first round size, first round speed, but he was inconsistent on the field. He had issues with uh, injuries as a junior in 2018, had some inconsistencies on the field. But if you develop Trayvon Diggs, you're going to have a dominant, potentially number one cornerback. And he's one of those guys, those cornerbacks that are taken second day of the draft, that three, four years from now, everybody's going to be asking, how did this guy get out of the first round? Yeah, I mean, when we were doing our cornerback show and, you know, we both had Jeffrey Okuda and C.J. Henderson one and two, Trayvon Diggs physically is the closest thing to those two guys in this draft. He's not as fast as Henderson. He's not quite the athlete or the technician that Okuda is. But if you want to look at a guy who is a potential shutdown corner, obviously had his inconsistencies, which is the reason he was available at 51. But you take a chance on a corner like that when he falls to the back end of the second round. The third round pick for Dallas, Neville Gallimore, the defensive tackle out of Oklahoma, one of my favorite defensive tackles in this draft. I mean, just looking at the first three picks here for Dallas, they absolutely crushed the first two days of this draft. Gallimore is a guy, he's a penetrating three technique. He's going to cause disruption in the backfield. Needs to play with a bit more of a consistent motor, but overall an excellent player. Dallas also had a pair of fourth-round picks, and they took Reggie Robinson, cornerback out of Tulsa, and Tyler Biedish, the center out of Wisconsin, a guy that many would have had pegged as an earlier pick. We were reporting, you know, in the couple weeks leading up to the draft that Biedish was falling due to some injury concerns. If he can stay on the field, though, that is a heck of a pick for Dallas, especially with Travis Frederick hanging up his cleats and retiring earlier than anybody expected. Robinson, I'll let Tony kind of talk about what he'd been hearing about Robinson throughout the process, but this is a guy who was at the Senior Bowl, really impressed there, one of the better cornerbacks on the field in Mobile, and a guy that a lot of people 
looking back, kind of like what Tony said about Trayvon Diggs, looking back or looking ahead rather a couple of years into the future, people may look back and say, wow, Reggie Robinson at pick 123, what a pick for Dallas. And it's funny because a lot of people were questioning that pick and the people questioning that pick don't know about Reggie Robinson and really uh, have not talked to NFL people about him. Robinson needs a little more time. He needs a little bit more experience, was not a consistent starter at Tulsa, but he's got tremendous size. He's got tremendous speed. He's shown flashes of dominance. And like we said the night before the draft, and as I reported uh, during the live draft blog, Robinson, a lot of teams had third-round grades on him. A lot of teams think that two or three years down the road, he could potentially be one of the top cornerbacks to come out of this draft. He's just basically hitting his stride. Neville Gallimore, they took Tristan Hill in the second round last year. He really has not panned out, although it's only been one year. I think Neville Gallimore is a little bit bigger, stronger, more explosive version of, of Tristan Hill. Uh, it'll be, I mean, I've seen on depth charts, they have him listed at nose tackle. Neville Gallimore is not a nose tackle. He's more of an explosive three technique type. And I think that's where he's best. Via dash, you know, if he stays healthy, this could be one of the steals of the entire draft. No doubt about it. Via dash, uh, after his sophomore season, or even after his freshman season, when they had uh, four guys on that Wisconsin Badger offensive line, people were talking about him being a high pick. He, w- he was considering entering the 2019 draft, but the hip was a major issue. He had to have surgery to repair the hip. Now he's got knee problems. Fourth round was a great selection for Bia Dash. And, uh, you know, as I said, if he stays healthy and shows durability, this could be like Reggie Robinson. This could be one of the bigger steals of the draft. Although Reggie Robinson's not as well known, we know be a dish, but down the road, uh, both guys could pan out. Now, if we're talking about potential steals in this year's draft, you have to also look at Dallas's fifth round pick. This is why I think they had such a good draft overall, because you know we're looking at every pick and saying, hey, these guys are great value and, and could end up being steals. But Bradley and Nay out of Utah, just inside the top 180 picks. And this is a guy who, listen, he's not the most athletic guy. He has some issues in terms of size. He could be a little bit bigger. He could gain some weight. He could, you know, hold up better against blocks, but overall his repertoire of pass rush moves is very good. He wins. He gets to the quarterback. He makes plays. And to take a guy in the fifth round who really was at the very least a consensus day two pick on a lot of boards is a guy that, you know, this is, you know, the NFL these days, you need pass rushers. And even if Bradley and a is a sub package rusher, he's worth the fifth round pick. That's kind of a bust if you take him in the second and third round if he's only in sub-packages. But when you get a guy like that in round five, any risk that comes with him is a bit mitigated. In the seventh round, Dallas rounded out their draft with James Madison quarterback Ben DiNucci, a guy that you know we've been talking about leading up to the draft in the weeks prior that is really just a guy who very productive this year at James Madison after he transferred from Pitt early in his career. And you know he's a guy that has the physical tools to potentially be a solid backup in the NFL. Obviously, I don't think Dallas is looking at him as a starter long-term, even though they haven't been able to lock up Dak Prescott yet. But still, you look at a guy like Danucci in the seventh round, has all the tools to be a good backup. And if that pick hits, that's another excellent value for Dallas. And it's funny because like Reggie Robinson, the people who are downplaying the selection of Ben Danucci have probably never seen him play. Uh, ben Danucci didn't just have a good senior. He was really good uh, in 2018 as well. In fact, I told people about him uh, 
going into the 2019 season because he wasn't even graded by scouts. He wasn't not even on the, on the uh, scouting sheets, which was amazing to me because when you watch the 2018 film, Ben Denucci showed himself to be a real good quarterback. People uh, from Dallas or people who are familiar with Dallas or Mike McCarthy, I should say, feel that Denucci is just a perfect fit for the Mike McCarthy offense. They think he's going to do a real good job there. Primarily he's a backup, but still, uh, you know, when you're a quarterback from James Madison, who wasn't graded by scouts coming into the year, didn't get a combine invite, didn't play in any postseason all-star games in front of scouts, uh, didn't even have a pro day. You got to remember the, the James Madison pro day. When, when we talked to John Daka, they didn't get a, they didn't have a pro day at, uh, at James Madison. And the fact that this guy still drafted tells you how good his film was. Bradley and they, I mean, he slipped because of poor testing numbers. You watch him on film, good standing over a tackle. Good out of a three-point stance. Again, I think it's a good fit for Dallas because they like those somewhat undersized but very explosive edge rushers. Uh, and I, I think right now Bradley and Nay probably comes into the league with a chip on his shoulder. He's a guy who thought that he should have gone in the third round, which he probably should have. Ends up as a uh, fifth-round choice. Uh, so I think he, he believes he's got something to prove. Now, not only did the Cowboys have a very solid draft with the picks they made, but they also picked up a lot of viable UDFAs that, you know, really could make rosters. Even if it's not their roster, they can end up making other rosters around the league. You know, a couple of running backs in Rico Dowdle out of South Carolina and Jet Anderson, Darius Anderson out of TCU. Um, you know, Darius Anderson is an explosive back on tape, but he ran a 4-6 at the combine, which probably dropped him out of the draft, but he doesn't play to that speed. He's a guy who can hit big plays. Rico Dowdle, is a little he ran faster than Darius Anderson despite the fact that he doesn't really show that on film but he's a, is just a solid college running back who profiles you know as an NFL backup none of these guys are really going to make impacts as a starter obviously behind Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard who they drafted last season but again guys who could just round out the bottom of the depth chart they also picked up Terrence Steele a guy that Tony and I haven't been as high on as a lot of people because, you know, we see an athlete, but we don't see a guy who's a great football player. You know, we didn't even think he played that well at the Senior Bowl when there were a lot of other people that thought he had an excellent Senior Bowl. Obviously, he fell out of the draft, but when you can get that kind of athletic profile at tackle, and he's a guy that you can just cut without repercussions in the summer if he doesn't step up his game and prove that he belongs on an NFL roster. I mean, that's what you're looking to do with, you know, both late-round picks and signings after the draft. Um, Tony, there were several other UDFAs of note as well. I'll let you take some of them here and, and just go over what you saw. Yeah, the uh, Siwo Olenulua, I don't know if I pronounced that right. I was close <laughs> to it of TCU. I, I mean, he's a Dallas type of back. They like those bigger backs. They like the guys that can pound it out on the inside. He absolutely does it, and he's got some surprising athleticism. Stephen Gidry of Mississippi State is an underrated receiver. Wouldn't be surprised if Gidry makes the uh, Cowboys roster as a fifth receiver, at the very least, I think he's a practice squad prospect. Azor Kamara uh, of Kansas, I was shocked he was not uh, selected. I thought he was uh, well-deserving of a, uh, of a uh, late-round pick. It'll be interesting because Dallas plays a 4-3. A lot of people, including myself, feel that uh, he's better as a 3-4 outside linebacker. But he's very athletic. He covers a lot of area on the field. And, and really, he's just learning the game. So... Maybe he makes it as a uh, on the active roster. At the very least, I think he's a uh, he's a practice squad prospect. Francis Bernard, I mean, a guy who we both loved, uh, who got someone who fell out of the draft because of poor testing numbers. Unlike Azor, who uh, unlike Kamara, who had outstanding testing numbers, Bernard ran the in the uh, four eights. He's barely two hundred thirty pounds. The testing numbers were not good. 
But the film is a different story. I mean, the film, uh, he is a 4-3 outside linebacker. You go back to 2018 when he struggled to get on the field because Utah had so much talent, the linebacker position. Again, go back, watch that bowl game uh, against Northwestern. I believe it was the Holiday Bowl where uh, Francis Bernard is 30 yards down the field covering receivers and doing a good job of it. Uh, makes much more athletic than his numbers would lend one to believe. Uh, he's an older guy, which is another reason why he fell out of the draft. But I'd be surprised if he's not on the active roster and he's not on the active roster. He's going to be on somebody's active roster because Francis Bernard can play. Now we'll move on to the final team in the division here. And that is the Philadelphia Eagles who with their first two picks in the draft drafted a pair of Jalen's Jalen Rager out of TCU at number 21 overall and Jalen Hurts quarterback out of Oklahoma at number 53 Rager really just gives the Eagles some needed speed and explosion at the receiver position. I mean, they have Alshon Jeffrey, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Obviously, Deshaun Jackson is quite fast, but he's getting up there in age. He struggles to stay on the field. They needed an injection of speed. Anybody who watched that offense last season with all the receiver injuries they had, I mean, they couldn't stretch the field at all. So Jalen Rager is going to allow them to do that. He's a big play guy. Does pretty well in contested situations as well. You know, a bit of a surprising pick over someone like Justin Jefferson. There are always going to be those comparisons between the two, but I do still think Jalen Rager is going to help that Philadelphia offense, as will Jalen Hurts. I mean, there is potential here for, you know, a Taysom Hill type of role, which when you extend your quarterback, we talked about this two shows ago, when you extend your quarterback and then you draft the backup in round two, you're either saying we don't have full faith that Carson Wentz is going to stay healthy, or we think we can find other uses for Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts is a guy, he's proven he's a winner. He's an athlete. I like him as a player. It's an interesting fit. In Philly, but I do think the Eagles have some plans for him that people may not necessarily understand until they actually come to fruition. Carson Wentz has never been able to stay healthy, and the Philadelphia Eagles have always, and Doug Peterson, really the Philadelphia Eagles going back to the days of Andy Reid, who's done a great job of it in Kansas City, have always been able to develop quarterbacks. And Doug Peterson's just a chip off the old block uh, from Andy Reid, whether it be Carson Wentz, whether it be Nick Foles. And I think that's the plan with, with Jalen Hurts. Carson Wentz is not being able to stay healthy, so you need a good backup. And at the very least, if they develop Jalen Hurts, guess what? They could trade him and get in return much more uh, than, than they expended on him. I, I mean, the, the New England Patriots have done that for literally the past uh, 10, 12 years. Draft the quarterback in second, third round, even the last day of the draft. Develop him and then trade him for, for, and get back more in return than what you spent on him. So I, I see nothing. You know, it, it, I think with quarterbacks, a lot of it depends on the franchise that's selecting them. And until they prove otherwise, you've got to give the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and Coach Doug Peterson the benefit of doubt when it comes to uh, quarterbacks. Jalen Rager, you mentioned it. I was hearing literally the days up uh, to the first round that Rager was going to be a first-round pick. I foolishly did not go with it. I foolishly said, nah, I don't think so. Looking at the other receivers, he is. He's a perfect uh, fit for the Eagles. You know, let's compare him to Henry Ruggs. Now, granted, Ruggs ran faster at the combine, but Rager did uh, have some speedy times uh, during his personal pro day. You know, Ruggs goes to, uh, goes to Oakland where he's going to be forced into the situation where he's got to be the number one and the number two. Rager goes to Philadelphia where, what is he, the number three receiver? There's not going to be a lot of pressure on him to perform, which I think is going to help him a lot. Line up in the slot, line him up in the boundary, run, run reverses with him, use him as a return specialist. So I, I thought this was a real good pick by uh, the Eagles. 
Absolutely. The Eagles had several picks otherwise in the top 150. They selected linebacker Davion Taylor out of Colorado at pick 103 towards the end of the third round. Then they drafted Kayvon Wallace, the safety out of Clemson, and Jack Driscoll, offensive lineman out of Auburn in round four. Now, Davion Taylor is more or less what the NFL likes in linebackers these days. He's fast. He can go sideline to sideline, has that kind of speed, showed it at the Senior Bowl as well. You know, a guy that fits what the Eagles want to do. They wanted to add speed, not just on offense, but they just wanted to add team speed in this draft. And Davion Taylor really allows them to do that. Kayvon Wallace is a guy, maybe not a great athlete. He's a solid football player. He's a bit surprising as a fourth round pick. Um, There were some people that think he was a great value there. Um, You know, I I think he's maybe more of a fifth round type of pick. I think Tony's even lower on Kayvon Wallace than I was. Um, You know, he's, he's just a solid football player, but there's nothing outstanding about his game when it comes to traits or anything like that. And Jack Driscoll is a guy we discussed as, you know, he played tackle in college. A lot of teams were looking at him as a guard. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Eagles do with him. Looks like he's listed currently on their depth chart as a guard on the right side. So, you know, it's a guy that on day three, you take a player who has that kind of versatility. He can fill in multiple spots for you, even if he just ends up as kind of a swing tackle or a sixth offensive lineman. There's a lot of value in that. And there are a lot of people who believe that Jack Driscoll will eventually, his best position at the next level is going to be center. So you're looking at tackle guard or potentially center. And eventually, uh, you know, the Eagles may need a new center. Uh, so that's something else to, uh, to, to keep in mind. And I agree with you. Kayvon Wallace, very good football player, instinctive, but not real big, not real fast. I think he's more of a, uh, more of a later uh, pick in, in day three. But as we said a couple times, with more and more teams putting three safeties on the field, I guess that's why this pick made uh, sense. Davion Taylor, from uh, speed and explosion and ability to cover tremendous range on the field, he grades highly. The problem with Taylor is he's not very instinctive. He's slow to read and react. You know, he takes a while to find the ball. So it, they, they got the speed at linebacker that they, they really needed and they really wanted. The question is how much – mental responsibilities is Davion Taylor going to be able to handle in the NFL. Now, speaking of speed and specifically speed at linebacker, the Eagles in the sixth round drafted another friend of the show, Sean Bradley linebacker out of temple, a guy we talked to last summer ahead of the season and a guy who really went underappreciated in a lot of areas of the scouting community, obviously Philly with temple being in Philadelphia was able to get a lot of Sean Bradley tape, was able to watch him a lot as a hometown type of guy, and they decided he was worth a sixth-round pick. That was a very good pick in our estimation. They also added more speed at the receiver position with John Hightower out of Boise State in the fifth round and Quez Watkins out of Southern Myths in the sixth round. Quez Watkins ran one of the fastest 40 times at this year's combine. The Eagles really focused in on adding speed on offense and, again, overall, and they were able to do that with these picks. And they also took a couple guys who fell a little bit later than expected. Prince Tega Winogu in the sixth round had some injury concerns. There were some issues there, Um, but you know, he's a great value in the sixth round as an offensive tackle. And then Casey Tuhill out of Stanford, the linebacker really blew up the combine. I think surprised a lot of people and the traits that he has are well worth developing in the seventh round. Tony, I know you like Tuhill a lot, you know, in particular. You know, I like Two Hill, not only the combine, but he played very well during Shrine Game practices. The thing about Two Hill is I thought he'd be a much more natural fit as a 3-4 outside linebacker. The Eagles play a 4-3, so we'll see what happens, although a lot of teams are switching back and forth. Uh, the Prince, you talked about, he had injury concerns. I mean, coming in the season, he was given a, a potential first-round grade. From a play on-the-field play point of view, he grades as a second-day selection. 
the injuries made him drop. If he gets back to help, this is a, a tremendous, uh, tremendous selection. John Hightower and Quez Watkins are more, is more speed uh, at the receiver position. And, you know, you basically reiterated what I posted uh, the day he was drafted. I mean, Sean Brelly was just underappreciated in the scouting community. I just never understood why this guy was not graded much higher. You watch his 2018 film, it was outstanding. Last year wasn't as good, but I don't think Temple asked him to do as many things uh, as they did the prior year. You know, he told us uh, during our interview with him last summer, he thought he could run under four or five at the combine and he was just over four or five. So he's, you know, he's a great athlete. Uh, Bradley is absolutely a guy that I'm going to be rooting for moving forward. And the Eagles did make a few signings of note after the draft as well. Mike Warren out of Cincinnati running back, very productive. He's a bigger back. He's only five, nine, but he's 226 or so pounds. Um, a decent enough athlete can catch the ball really well out of the backfield. Just doesn't have any real starter traits, but again, you know, undrafted running backs have proven time and time again that they can hit probably at a higher rate than any other position. So not taking a flyer on one or two backs as UDFAs usually ends up being silly. Mike Warren could end up being a roster type of player for Philly. They also ended up with Khalil Tate, who is listed as a wide receiver. He played quarterback at Arizona after his freshman season. People had very high hopes for him as a quarterback. He didn't quite develop as people expected. Kind of like we said about Jake Fromm yesterday. Obviously, there are different players in terms of from not being the best athlete and Khalil Tate being more of an athlete than a quarterback. But it'll be interesting to see how he transitions to the receiver position. The Eagles did this last season. Greg Ward was one of their unsung heroes with all their receiver injuries, former quarterback at Houston who made the transition to the wide receiver position. So there's definitely some precedent with Philly turning an undrafted quarterback into a wide receiver and an effective one at the NFL level. Yeah, and there are some open spots uh, on the roster uh, or in the depth chart for uh, running back. So, you know, you mentioned Michael Warren. Michael Warren is a good fit for the Eagles. Adrian Killens is not a real fit, but he does so many things well, and he's so explosive, and he's the type of guy you get him the ball in space as a situational runner. Uh, the toss sweeps on occasion, although they don't really run too many toss sweeps anymore, which is sad. You throw him the ball in the backfield. If he's given any sort of space, Adrian Killens is gone. I mean, that's the type of player he is. Uh, interesting signing was Dante Olsen uh, from Montana. I know the Jets had uh, liked Olsen a lot. He's a big thumper in the at middle linebacker. They got T.J. Edwards. You know, you got Sean Bradley there who uh, can play inside or outside. Uh, I think that Olsen's a guy who, if he plays well, will get roster consideration. More of a two-down guy but really good up the field, outstanding against the run. And that's it for the 133rd episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll take you through two more divisions team by team next week. But in the meantime, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night and stay safe.